my childhood was a pretty good childhood. At, at least I thought that it was. I was a uh, pretty happy kid, but I was painfully shy and uh, introverted and had a lot of fears coming up as a child. I always felt that I needed someone to protect me and why I had that feeling, I, I don't really know, but I always felt afraid. I was going to the eighth grade and I could remember this guy that kept pursuing me. He, he, you know, he had a car and everything. I was just really going from the seventh grade to the eighth grade and he was like going into as a senior in high school. Then the next thing I know we were actually dating, I just started going out with him. He would come to uh, where I lived at almost every day. And I could remember my mom telling me that she didn't want me to be with him because he was, he was much older that I didn't understand. But I didn't know what she was talking about when she told me that I had no clue of what she was talking about. So, I, you know, I just continued to uh, see him. I mean, he kept asking me and asking me um, to have sex with him, but it was not something that I wanted to do because somehow I just knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. And I didn't really know anything about that. So I went out with him one night and got myself in a situation that I couldn't get out of and it was forced but back then you just didn't say anything about stuff I was like I got myself into it so you know who who could I tell you know I shouldn't have been where I was and you know and so I just kept the secret that he had forced me to have sex with him my mom, she wasn't harsh or anything like that with me, but I know that it was a, a big disappointment to her. I was even disappointed in myself. I continued to uh, go to school until it, it was time for me to have the baby, but even before then, when I told the father that I was pregnant, his response was, why are you telling me? And I didn't say anything because I didn't, e I didn't even know what to say. And all through the process, even though he was there, he constantly accused me of that, you know, saying things like it wasn't his baby. And as time um, went on, it went too long after I had the baby. I would say maybe by the time the baby was a couple of months old, he started like yelling at me and and calling me names stupid and all of those things that, I, you know, I just never thought that he would, you know, say to me. He, he was really mean to me and I just couldn't understand why. And then the, um, not only the verbal abuse, then he started hitting me over things that I hadn't even done. He would just accuse me of things and say things that people said that I did. And so he started, he would just hit me and, and I wouldn't tell my parents, I didn't tell anyone. I just endured 
uh, the abuse. And anyway, I, I continued in the relationship with him. I, I just felt like I was stuck. I didn't know how to get out of it. And um, one um, day he came to, one night my mom was gone and I had let him in and he came in and I had gotten a phone call from a guy friend and um, my um, brother had yelled downstairs and said, you got a phone call and, and I was like, okay, I'll call them back. And he was like, ask him who it is. And I didn't want to, so I, I finally asked who it was. And soon as my brother said who it was, he just began to punch me, um, just punch me until I fell to the floor. And then he started to kick me and then he left. And I called my mom and uh, I was able to call where she was and she came home and that's when I had to tell everything that was going on uh, in that um, relationship. So after that, he just told me, he said, if you don't leave St. Louis, I'm going to kill you. He said, I, we cannot live in the same city. We just can't. So my mom decided, I was in my senior year of high school by then, so my mom decided that it would be best if I left and went back to Holly Springs, Mississippi and stayed with my aunt, which, you know, was her sister. There I was in a strange place, didn't know anybody, didn't really even know my aunts because I, I didn't really grow up knowing them. I grew up hearing about her and my cousins and all of that. So I, I made friends pretty fast. I'm, I'm, I'm friendly. so. I made friends uh, pretty fast. Uh, my next door neighbor and uh, uh, another girl that lived across from us. I was sitting on the porch one day, my friends, the girls that I had met, they weren't around and a guy that I had met at school and he asked me, he said, do you, you wanna go to the store? And I was like, well, yeah, cause everything was far away. And it was a guy driving a car and he said that, that was his friend. So I was like, okay. So when his friend went out of the subdivision that we lived in and he made a right turn and the guy that I knew, he said, I'm going, cause people would have soda machines on their porch. So he was like, I'm going on, uh, over, you know, got out the car and said he was going to get a soda. And the guy took off with me in the car. But I still thought he was going to the store and he took me to, I don't even know where I was. All I know is just a field with a bunch of bushes and it just all kind of stuff. And, I, and he just went in these bushes and he, he took this, what, you know, it, a small knife. And I was like, I cannot believe that this, <laughs> I left home to come here for, for it to be something better. And this is what is getting ready to happen. So, but he just grabbed me and put the thing to my neck. And then I end up going through this process of being raped. And uh, he took me back to my destination where he picked me up from and I just got out the car. And uh, I didn't say anything to my aunt my cousins, I just told 
three of my, the people that I felt were close friends to me. I told them that I never um, called the police or reported it because I just felt like, you know, it was my fault. I should have been smarter. I should have been so naive. Um, after I graduated from high school, I had one or two years scholarship and I came home to visit. I had enrolled in college and I went home to visit and I never went back. And uh, after a few months, I was back in relationship with the same person that I had left where I was back into relationship with him again um, at 18 and there goes there starts the abuse, the hitting, the accusations, and all of that all over again. And that lasted for about a year off and on. And uh, I was finally able to be free of the relationship, but I still was looking for somebody to protect me. And I met a guy that was, you know, I thought was really nice and stuff that could protect me from him, but he really couldn't because he st things still he would still do things to me. He would still you know come by. Uh, I would still get in the car with him, and he would just take me to his apartment stuff and slap me and hit me and um, just a bunch of craziness. I would always say that it was, but finally. I got out of the relationship for good when I was like 19 years old. It's like he just kind of left me alone. I, you know, I don't know if he was just tired of abusing me or I, I wasn't going to be what he wanted me to be. But the relationship, it haunted me for year after year after year. And it just seemed like I was never going to be free from the pain, from the hurt, from the abuse. It uh, affected uh, my life as to who I thought I was. I always thought that I was not necessarily stupid, but not uh, smart enough to work certain positions. When I would apply for jobs, I would always apply for the job that was required the least amount of skill. Um, because he had told me so much that I was stupid and, and dumb and, and, and I just, it's like I started to believe it. So I never like lived up to my potential. So I spent a lot of my life not uh, excelling because of the way that I saw myself. I had a lot of men in my life. After that, I just, I don't know, I just was from relationship to relationship to relationship, one after the other. And uh, none of them were, it was never what I was looking for. You know, I just had this, this emptiness in me that nothing could feel.
but I always tried to fill it with relationships and none of them ever really worked. So I was, became very cold hearted toward men. I was just cold and I didn't even know I was cold. I had got tired of being out of church and I was at home uh, one evening and I, and I just said, you know what, I'm gonna get up in the morning and I'm gonna go to church. I came to the church and I walked in and everybody was so friendly. I, I don't know, when I walked in here, before I even entered into the sanctuary, I knew that this is where I was supposed to be. I just felt it. I can't even explain it. I just knew that this was the place for me and I knew that God had sent me here. So I, I started coming, but I would never stay after the service. I would always hurry up and leave out because I didn't really want to talk to people, but I wanted to be here. And then they had a week of prayer and I decided I would come to the week of prayer. And uh, I came up for the week of prayer and everybody was just so, just all the people that were there showing me love. And, at the end, when it was prayer, I kind of mentioned some of my story, but not much of it. And I just remember them surrounding me and praying for me. Just praying into my situation. And that was the beginning. That was the start of being free uh, from that that had haunted me all my life. I continued to come, I continued to be free. People continued to encourage me. Uh, they would see things in me that I didn't see in myself. I just saw none of those things in myself. I just started feeling like for as Christianity, I was just failure, just a failure in life. But coming here, I began to realize that God had a purpose for me my life and I just began to open up my heart and my mind to what was happening to me here at uh, Jubilee and then I decided to go to um, Redemption Group which is Revive Group now but I decided to go to Redemption Group and uh, I was able to go to Redemption Group and to talk about my life because I didn't trust anybody with my story. I didn't trust anyone. But when I went to uh, Revive Group and the group of us there that we could freely talk and people listen, they weren't judgmental. They didn't say, why did you do that? What's wrong with you? Um, don't you know that sin? You know, they didn't do that. They just listened. So I went through the a redemption program and it just opened up a, a, my eyes to a lot of things. I began to see how much that God loved me because I never saw God as somebody that loved me. I just saw him as this God that created everything. 
that he was in charge of everything, that he decided everything, but I never saw him as a loving father until I started coming here and going through a revived group. I began to see that Jesus loved me and that he had a plan and a purpose for my life and that I had things in my life in me that God had put in me to offer to people to help them, uh, to encourage them, uh, to show them the love of Christ, to show them compassion and mercy and grace, the grace of God. And I have learned from this whole experience that God was with me all the time. I didn't know that he was with me, that he was with me. And that he knew that all of these things were happening to me. That he hadn't left me nor forsaken me to deal with this, to carry this around the rest of my life. But he was only trying to set me free uh, from the burden of this whole, all the circumstances that I dealt with in spite of all that. He loved me because when Jesus Christ died for me, he died way before I was ever born. So he already loved me. I didn't have to earn his love, though a lot of things happened to me. There were a lot of circumstances in my life I would say that Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the answer to every circumstance, every problem that you can ever face in life because he faced a whole lot more than we could ever even begin to imagine. So I would say never lose hope. No matter what you're going through, never lose hope because there are people that will listen, that will help you along the way so that you can be free from whatever area you may be uh, bound in. And I just thank God that I have freedom now in Christ, <laughs> not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done in me, in my heart, my life is changed, it's different. I asked Betty, I said, hey, give me, a, give me a verse, give me a section of scripture that has really meant a lot to you, that's really helped you. And she told me about Psalm 23. And so what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna let, she's gonna read Psalm 23 for us, and then I'm gonna share a few thoughts uh, from that passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me 
In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just wanted to say that I know that the Lord gave me this when I came to accept uh, Christ as uh, saving Lord of my life. He knew all the hurt and pain that I was going through and uh, this Psalm of David, everything that I needed at that time was in the Psalm, in Psalm 23. I had a lot of fears. I grew up with a lot of fears. I was afraid to sleep in the dark. I was terrified of thunder and lightning. I was just paralyzed by the fear of death and dying and the circumstances of life just um, intensified them even more and even add, added even more fears to the ones that I already had. So I just felt like God had given me this Psalms to let me know that I didn't have to be afraid anymore. So I would always run to this. This would be my go-to uh, when I was just feeling the pain and going through those difficult and dark times. I would go to Psalms 23 and I would just read it and read it until I memorized it. And I would just say it over and over again. And as I began to just really see what it meant and that Jesus was exactly all these things that David said that he is. And um, that one by one, the fears began to fall off. Not overnight, but over the years, they began to fall off. And, and I just began to see that in all of this, that this was not just something for me, for me. I, I, I began to not to be so me-focused and become focused on the Lord. And as I began to not focus on me and my circumstances and to focus on him, then I knew without a doubt that this, what he had given me and what I had gotten from it was for me to comfort those just as Christ had comforted me. Amen. So now I'm supposed to say something. It's amazing. Amazing story, amazing the grace of God. Um, you know, we live in a fallen world. I mean, what happened to, to Betty and things like that happened because we live in a fallen world. We live under the sway of sin. It's in, in, we live in this dark uh, situation. It wasn't always that way. Um, it wasn't always um, dark. It wasn't always full of trouble and pain and suffering. In fact, it was, you know, this Bible talks, uh, the scripture talks about green pastures. And there was a day where it was all green pastures. It wasn't just like a patch here or a patch there, but it was just, it was all green. But it's not that way now. I mean, we're lucky. I mean, we live in like this, our life can feel like this desertous time. And there's this little passage, like little shards of grass popping up. I mean, like every once in a while, we'll get this day where it's 72 degrees and, you know, our boss gives us a promotion and our, our TV show is on and our kids will finally go to bed just exactly when we say, like, there's this day. But most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, it, it's, it's dark. In fact, and sometimes it's quite, you know, ugly. Um, 
quite uh, despairing. But God's promise to us is just as the psalm says, that he is with us. And so today I want to talk about, and what Betty was able to get a hold of, this maybe help us a bit, how to get joy. And I don't mean happiness. You know the difference, right? Happiness is circumstantial. Uh, happiness is here today and gone tomorrow. All it takes is one drunk driver. All it takes uh, is uh, one mistake at work. All it takes uh, you know, is one call from the doctor saying, you better get here quick. Happiness is cheap, and I don't think we'll sustain um, this life and this journey that God has us on, but I do believe uh, that God has joy for us. I mean, if we're honest, life isn't always chipper. And if you're going for happiness, if you're going for uh, the circumstances to be what you uh, want them to be, it's just going to be frustrating. But the good news is God has joy for us. And I think a great biblical example of what this looks like is the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, um, I mean, he was just unfazed by any circumstance. I mean, he was, you just couldn't touch this guy. And if you don't know about it, he was hard-pressed. It says in Scripture that five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. Uh, he was stoned and left for dead at least once. He was shipwrecked three times. And one of those times, he finally swims to shore only to get to shore and get bitten by a snake. It's like, come on, Lord. I mean, I'm, like, I'm working for you here. And, but you couldn't touch him. And he just maintained this, this deep-seated confidence that God was good. And the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews, they all tried to kill him. He's like, well, to die is game. All right, we'll let you live. We'll deliver as Christ. Well, then we'll just, you know, beat you. Well, you know, I don't even count these momentary sufferings worthy as comparing to the glory that God has for me is, uh, in heaven. All right, we'll just put you in prison. Well, give me a hymnal because I'm going to be preaching to the guards. And that's the, kind of the way he worked. And he just it didn't matter what situation he was in. You just couldn't touch him. And, and I think this kind of joy is legitimately and absolutely available to us. And it, and, and it can come to us regardless of our uh, circumstance, and so that's what I want to do today. So if you have that, Romans 23, we're preaching um, Betty's verse here. Romans 23, I'm just going to walk through a few things and hopefully um, hopefully allow you to grab a hold of what Betty was, what did I say? You know, Romans didn't even have a 23. <laughs> but it'd be good if there was, I know that. Psalm 23. How would you like it if I pointed out your mistakes? <laughs> All right, here we go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that is huge. One of the keys to you having this kind of joy is understanding that he's the shepherd and you're the sheep. Right? It's not the other way around. He, he's the shepherd. Now, in, in, the, in the scriptures, we're referred to as sheep more than 400 times. There's something there that we're supposed to understand, and it's not a compliment. I don't know if there's any sheep herders in here, uh, but one shepherd uh, describes sheep as being obstinate, directionless, um, unable to find his way even when they can see the way to go. They're completely helpless Animals. You can't train a sheep like you can train a dog. They're just untrainable, absolutely dependent creatures. Now, that would be bad news for you and bad news for me if we had to make it on our own. 
But it says here that the Lord is our shepherd. If you can own that fact, if you can own this reality that, that you're not the one in charge, that you're not the one leading, you're not the one guiding, but it's, there's actually, I, I need something, I'm helpless, and there's a shepherd, and this shepherd is the Lord. The, the Lord, that, that name there for the Lord is Yahweh. He's got many titles in the Bible, but he has one name, Yahweh. It's made up of two different words. It's I am, will be, which I know doesn't make sense in English, but it means this I am, will be means that he was and he is and he always will be, that he is stable. He is this stability that Betty and all of us need our hearts to rest in, in our unstable life. We don't know what we're going to expect when we walk through those doors. We don't know what we're going to expect when we wake up in the morning. But here's what we know for sure, is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I ask you how you're doing, well, you're happy. Well, you're sad. Well, you're doing great. You're doing bad. But when you ask Jesus how he's doing, I am. I am full of love. I am full of grace. My mercies are new every morning, and you will not exhaust my love for you no more than a minnow can swallow the Mississippi. And he is always there for us. He is our shepherd. I shall not want and that word want, desire there really means that I will lack nothing. And I've got a problem with that because I can think of some things I lack. I lack the car I want. I lack the personality I want. I lack the success I want. So what does this mean that I won't lack? Because I see things in my life that I lack. Well, what that really means, it doesn't say that you will not have lack as you see it, but you will not have lack as the shepherd sees it. And that is, of course, again, the key that he is the one in charge and he is the one that we look to and he's the one we depend upon. Philippians 4, 19 says that my God will supply my needs according to his riches and glories. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that. You know, you can lie down or you can be made to lie down. <laughs> right? Don't sissify Jesus. Don't feather his hair. Uh, you will bow or you will bow. And... He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. Not rushing streams, still waters. He, he's, he's a good God. He leads us to refreshment. He leads us when we have nowhere to turn, when we feel like we can't take another step. He is always, always there with refreshment. You know, it says of Jesus the night before he goes to the cross when he's in the garden and all of the shame, all of the despair, all the sorrow of our sin begins to beset him. And he begins to cry out with loud cries, as it says in Hebrews. It says that God the Father sent angels to strengthen him. And guess what happened? He still went to the cross. Here's what happens. I, don't, I, I can't predict your life. I don't know what your circumstances will be. But the promise from God is that he will be there to strengthen you, that he will be there to give you pools of refreshment because that's who he is. And it says here, he restores my soul. That word restores, the, the Hebrew word, the form of that word is used nearly a thousand times in the Old Testament alone. It's one of God's favorite things to do is to restore. He doesn't discard. He brings things back to the way that they were. In fact, he makes them better. He makes them as if they were brand new. He loves to restore. He loves to restore people. You, you read the New Testament, and you see him uh, restoring a man's withered hand. You see him restoring blind sight. You, seeing, you see him restoring deaf ear. He loves to restore. He wants to restore your life. He wants to bring things back to new. And that is what uh, Betty has found. In fact, it says in, in, in Joel 2, this is a, an Old Testament 
book. It's, a prof- it's, it's one of the uh, prophetic books. It speaks of this, these locusts that ate away the years, and then the prophecy was that God would, re- would bring back all that the locusts took away, all that the enemy stole, all, of the, all that, uh, that the, um, um, our enemy took from us, God says will be restored. And that's the promise that Betty holds on to. She can look back, and I'm sure you did too, and imagine as you watched that video of all the things that were taking from here, all the years that seemed to be wasted, all the things that could have been happened. Here's the good news is that God restores it. He brings it all back. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness. So he's not just concerned about my past. He's not just concerned about making the the bad good in in my past pleasant where I can cope with it. But he's interested in our future. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's, he's leading us in paths of righteousness. He's leading us into right relationships. He's leading us into right decisions, if we will listen. Now, here's one that's huge. It says, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Now, let me tell you why this is huge. And this is ultimately going to be good news. But it could be a little startling, so just kind of bear with me. The universe is not about you. Now, just breathe. Just breathe, just breathe it in, just, just stay with me now. The universe is not about you. Because even in this, even in this passage, you could think, well, I'm awesome. I mean, he's, he's lying me down by green pastures and in pools of refreshing water. I mean, who doesn't do that if he's not into me? <laughs> but he doesn't do that for your sake. He does it for his name's sake. He does it for his name's sake. Now, our, our culture says that you're awesome. In fact, that, if you, in that you deserve better. In fact, if you don't get better, you have the right to be angry. You, you're, you're, you're spectacular. I mean, you're varsity. You're not, you're not JV. Don't, in fact, if anyone tells you you're JV, I mean, that, that is a slap in your um, amazing, beautiful, unique face. And you, should be, you, you have the right to be angry. One of the key things, and I don't know if you picked up on this, that Betty mentioned was that she realized, one of the things that really turned over for her, that she realized that it wasn't about her. It wasn't about her. This is huge because I would, if I had more time, I would, I could go on for a while but I would say that all that you have, all the turmoil in your life is a result of the belief, all the turmoil in my life is a belief, is our belief that life is about us. Everything that you're angst about right now is born out of the idea that really this universe is about you. You're in traffic. Life's about you. Someone cut you. Get out of the left lane. It's about me. The turmoil that's in your marriage is because you think life is about you. Because I think life is about me. Every time I... If I can catch myself, it's like, why am I doing that? Well, because she did this and da 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 Well... She did this, and how dare she do that to me? Because this is about me. This is about what I want, what I need, and I deserve different. It's all for his namesake. Huge, huge, 
hugely important. And now we'll get to the part, because this is where, because was, Betty was looking for a protector. She couldn't find one until she found Jesus. And this is what Jesus does. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Now, a couple things here that I need to say. One is that I've learned at this point in my life is that suffering is inevitable and I think necessary. Um, I've noticed that as Americans, and this is a hard, we avoid the cute kind of suffering. I mean, we just want to avoid death, disease, danger. We just, that's the worst possible thing. Anything, we just want to avoid the acute suffering. We know about the acute suffering. That's on one end of the, the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum is this kind of dull, death by paper cuts kind of suffering where you just kind of day in and day out. You, you can get so removed from pain, you can get so removed from suffering that there's another kind of suffering that you experience. I don't know if you picked up on this. And every time, I don't know about you, every time you come to the crossroads of a philosophical wonderment, the question that always pops in your head is, I wonder if this was addressed in a Will Ferrell movie. And so we... And it is. And so in the movie Old School, uh, Will Ferrell, he's this 30-year-old kind of suburban guy, and he, he finds himself at this college party, right? And they, and they want him to drink. He's like, no, I got a big Saturday. They're like, well, doing what? And this was his answer. Well, um, actually, pretty nice little Saturday. We're going to go to Home Depot, buy some wallpaper, maybe get some flooring, stuff like that. Uh, maybe go to Beth, bon, Beth, Bud, Beth Bed Bath & Beyond. Easy now. <laughs> Easy. Bed, bath, and beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have the tough time. So he, and he goes on. He talks about how like, his life is just wallpaper and flooring. And really this life that all of us look at and say, that's the life that I want. But he's finding in himself this suffering like water drops on your forehead over and over and over again. There's this acute kind of suffering about death and pain and bankruptcy and financial ruin that we want to avoid, but there's an, on the other end of the spectrum, there's this other kind of dull, purposeless suffering. And I would argue that this is more dangerous because in this side of the ledger, you don't know that you need a shepherd as much as you do on this side of the ledger. You see, when we're in green pastures, we may talk about God, but when we're in the valley, we shout and cry to God to come and to help and to heal. My kids, um, great kids, they, after school, they'll spend most of their time you know, playing with games or whatever toys and stuff, and dad doesn't get a whole lot of attention in those moments, you know, I'll get a drink for him if they, they ask for it, but so in those moments, I'm daddy the provider, which I'm, I'm quite happy to play that role, but I wouldn't say that I would get a ton of, of attention, but every once in a while, my kids will they'll have a nightmare, and they'll come screeching into our room, and they come to daddy's side of the bed. And they want me to hold them, and I'm glad to do that. And I'll hold them. And, I, and they're, even after I hold them for a little bit, they're still shaking. They're still feeling the effect of this terror. 
And I'll whisper to them, it's okay. Daddy's got you. I'll just say that over, Daddy's got you. And I'll hold them, and I'll hold them, and I'll hold them until peace comes back over their heart and their mind, and they fall asleep. Maybe an hour's gone by, I don't know. Now I know that my kids hate nightmares. And I'm certainly not praying that they'll have more, but I gotta tell you, I love those times. Because they're running to me. Because they know that they need me. And here's the truth, in the ravine, in the valley, you know you need a shepherd. And here's the great news, is that he's gonna lead you through. How do you know he's gonna lead you through? How will you know that? How can you trust him? I was off the coast of North Carolina last April, and I was several miles off the coast, and um, it's the first time I've been out in the deep sea when I wasn't like in a major, you know, cruise line, major ship. And I'm out in this, and then it's, I, it's just, whew, I mean, just swells. I mean, just, it was massive, and it was a miserable few hours. I mean, it was just like, I mean, my eyeballs were rolling around, just like, when is this going to stop? And like, and to be honest with you, like, I'm thinking to myself, man, if I was by myself, I would be freaked out. In fact, I was freaked out then. I would have like been more hysterical, except there were about eight other guys there, and I wouldn't be as, you know. <laughs> I can handle this. So I go to the, the you know, the guy driving the ship captain. Hey, you know, is this, you ever experienced something like this? You know, is this? Doing all right here? <laughs> Somebody wants to know back there. Um, and he looks at me with a smile, and I'll say a condescending look, kind of like you guys did earlier. And so he looks at me with this condescending look, and he says, this is nothing. This is nothing. And even though he was condescending, there was this reassurance that came over to me because he had been through this before. In fact, he had been much worse, and I, he, he's going to get us back to dry land. He's going to get us back to cell phone service. He's going to get us back to the way things should be, all right? And so here's the thing about Jesus. He's gone through the valley, the shadow of death. He's experienced far worse, far worse than you'll ever, ever experience and he made it through. He went to the cross. He took on Satan's sin and death, and he defeated them, and he rose on the third day. He got, us, he got through the darkest emotional, physical, spiritual situation that you'll ever face by a million miles, and he got through it. So when he says, I will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death, you know that he'll get you through. You know he'll get you through. Betty figured out in her life, wouldn't say that she figured it out, let me rephrase that. It was revealed to her much grace into her life as she was able to speak of that she finally found someone who would protect her. She finally found someone that she could trust. 
she could finally found s- someone who she could lean on in any circumstances and that she would never, ever, ever be alone. She knew that she had a shepherd that she can trust. Here's my question as we close. Do you know that you have a shepherd that you can trust who's been through the darkest of times and came out on the other side? Jesus is a shepherd you can trust. Why don't you get out your communication card?